This is the Eurasian Enigma from the Davis Center. The Davis Center. The Davis Center for Russian and Eurasian Studies at Harvard University. Hello and welcome to the Eurasian Enigma. I'm Chris Martin, the Outreach Director at the Davis Center, and I'm so pleased to be speaking today with Lauren Graham, Professor Emeritus of the History of Science in the Program in Science, Technology, and Society at MIT. Lauren is a center associate here at the Davis Center and the author of many books, most recently, Lysenko's Ghost, Epigenetics and Russia, in which he talks about the legacy of Trofim Lysenko, a Soviet agronomist and geneticist whose ideas, thanks to Stalin's patronage, had a large influence on Soviet science. The rise of epigenetics, a new field within genetics, has sparked a resurgence of interest in Lysenko's ideas today. Is this a reflection of new developments in contemporary biology, a more cynical political revival, or something in between? Lauren, thank you so much for speaking with us today. It's a great pleasure. Thank you. So let's just start with the basics. For those who are unfamiliar with Trofim Lysenko, who was he? Trofim Lysenko lived from uh, 1898 until 1976, and he was an agronomist. The remarkable thing about him is that from the late 30s until 1965, roughly, he ruled biology in the Soviet Union. He ran out all the biologists who opposed him. Many of them were imprisoned. A few, Some were executed. He had the personal support of Stalin. He was the dictator of his field, and he was probably the most infamous scientist of the 20th century. What were his scientific ideas that propelled him to a place of power within the USSR? The core of his scientific ideas was belief in the inheritance of acquired characteristics. Now, perhaps the easiest way of explaining that view is the famous example of why do giraffes have long necks? There are two classic answers to that question. One is of a Lamarckist answer, which would be the type that Lysenko would support, and the other a Darwinist answer. The Lysenko type answer would be, well, you know, those giraffes are always stretching their necks to reach the, the best fruit and the uh, choicest leaves in the tops of the trees, and that neck stretching during their lifetimes has a heritable effect. The Darwinist answer would be, oh no, it doesn't have anything to do with what the giraffes do during their lifetimes. It's just that in any population of giraffes, some giraffes are uh, taller, have longer necks than others, and the ones with longer necks tend to survive more frequently because they get more food. So the inheritance of acquired characteristics is the belief that what happens in the lifetimes of organisms can have genetic effects. That belief was in the West discredited for most of the 20th century. But what makes this story get interesting is there's been a revival in recent years, but we'll mm -hmm. get to that. Right, right. Can you talk a little bit about why Stalin was so taken with him? What was the environment within the USSR at that time in the 30s that made Stalin latch on to Lysenko as a hope for the future, or gave him hope for the future of the USSR? The main reason that Stalin supported Lysenko was because Lysenko promised, and he was a very good self-propagandist, much bigger crops at a time when the Soviet Union was undergoing famine. So here comes this magic man who says, hey, I will increase the crops of corn and the milk from cows and I'll make your agriculture so much richer. Meanwhile, the academic geneticists who opposed him were portrayed by Lysenko 
as just bourgeois individuals working in their laboratories with no care about agriculture. They worked often with uh, fruit flies. Uh, Lysenko often called them fly lovers and human haters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Stalin didn't require any proof that what Lysenko proposed was actually happening. Stalin didn't require any proof in a way that scientists would approve of. Mm-hmm. But of course, Lysenko would say, here, look what I've done. Mm-hmm. But it would be a sample of one, no no control groups. Right. I mean, it wouldn't meet scientific criteria. But Lysenko would say, oh, of course I've proved it. Look at what I've done. Right. And throughout the book, you call him a sloppy scientist. And I, I love that you said he went from observation to generalization. That was of his. Course. Right. And, you know, all across the world at all times, there have been farmers who have their own little idiosyncratic ways of growing things. Most of them, you know, nobody's ever heard of. In the case of Lysenko, there was an interaction between him and the Soviet government, and Stalin in particular, which was mutually corrupting in that Stalin and his propagandists elevated Lysenko to a prominence of, you know, the five-year plan, the Nipper Dam or whatever. And so this idiosyncratic farmer suddenly became one of the most famous people in the Soviet Union. Right. And he had a monopoly and it obviously had a huge, it was a Absolute. huge judgment to science itself. Absolutely. To growth and advancement. Now, when Stalin died and after Stalin's death, Lysenko eventually falls from power. What was it about the Cold War politics that helped discredit Lysenko and this idea of acquired inherited characteristics? Well, after Stalin's death, Khrushchev also supported Lysenko, but the advances of modern agricultural genetics were becoming so apparent that they penetrated even to the Soviet Union. You may remember that uh, Khrushchev came to the United States and he visited the corn farms of a man named Roswell Garst out in Iowa. Uh, Khrushchev was blown away by the bounty mm-hmm. in his mind mm-hmm. that these modern corn plants broad. And it was, of course, based upon classical genetics. I think that was perhaps the beginning of doubt. But whereas in the 30s and 40s, you could say the modern geneticists were mostly working in laboratories, by the 50s and 60s, uh, the fruits of their work were evident on the fields. fields. And that made the difference. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So if we fast forward in time, you know, Lysenko is discredited um, in the early 1960s, by the 1960s? 65. 65. He is not eliminated. He is not, he's still uh, allowed to retain a small laboratory, a small farm. That Correct. He, but he is no longer the force um, in the field, and he doesn't have the political support Correct. that he once had. Correct. But then if we really fast forward to the early 2000s, the science itself evolves, and the a, new, a yes. new idea uh, arises, which is epigenetics. The revival of Lysenko that is going on in Russia right now is, in my opinion, a result of two changes in two forces. One is scientific and one is political. We'll probably talk about the politics mm-hmm. a bit later. You asked yeah. me about the scientific. The scientific is the rise of a field or a subfield called epigenetics. What, in the simplest terms, does epigenetics say? Epigenetics says that you can have heritable changes in organisms without having changes in the DNA itself. You might say the DNA is controlled by other factors, in particular certain chemical groups, methyl groups, uh, that attach themselves to the DNA and act like on-off switches so that these switches can 
make a gene start to work or make it not work. And here's the surprise. It emerged that environmental influences can, in ways that even yet we don't fully understand, influence, even in some sense control, the attachment of those little chemical groups to the, the DNA in a way that changes gene expression. So all of a sudden, we're saying, well, you know, not every, not every biologist even today is quite willing to say what I'm going to say now, but some do. They say, well, you know, the inheritance of acquired characteristics in some instances does seem to work, mm -hmm. at least for a few generations. Mm -hmm. Now, to be sort of specific and to clarify, but what you're talking about is these changes are environmental. A lot of them can be chemical. You see these methyl groups. That's right. And that's different, though, from the idea that behavior could change. So for a oh. giraffe stretching his neck. Good point. Is something, you but know, treating too. your cow a certain way, you know, the behavior of that, that's not necessarily environmental. Is there a, di is there a differentiation between those two things? Uh, well, both behavioral, particularly if you're talking about human behavior, and natural conditions in which uh, an, an organism develops mm -hmm. can be called environmental. Mm -hmm. But there is a difference. And perhaps the best way of illustrating this is that there's a fellow named Michael Meany at McGill University in Canada who has shown that in rat litters, the care that the mother gives to the pups influences their heredity. So right. that, the that's licking. a behavioral thing. Right, right. You're right. The, the licking, the more... The um, licking. Yes. Good lickers yeah. and bad lickers. <laughs> bad lickers amongst <laughs> rat mothers. Right. Yeah. So you're right. Yeah. So it's and behavioral. Then, then, you know, we're learning that stress and famine... Mm can have these effects. One of the best examples is the Amsterdam famine of the winter of 1944-45. Over 20,000 people died of starvation. What we found out, and the Dutch keep very good records, the effect of that experience are still visible in the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren, mm -hmm. which is a real surprise because the grandchildren and great-grandchildren their mothers were perfectly well nurtured. There was no famine. Everybody had wonderful diets or good diets anyway. So there, there's another example. Mm -hmm. So to get a little bit to the politics, okay. people are raising the question now is, you know, if epigenetics is reality, if this the, the acquired uh, inheritance of these characteristics is reality, was Lysenko right? right. And they're looking to reevaluate his legacy. And it seems like they're reevaluating his legacy much more from a political element than from necessarily a scientific element. The Russian equivalent of Google is called Yandex. And if you go into Yandex and you type in, in Russian, uh, Lysenko and epigenetics, epigenetica, if you type those two things in, you'll get hundreds of hits. And the hits, some of them will refer to publications in Russia with headlines such as, Lysenko was right after all. Lysenko proven correct by modern science. So there is a, very definitely a resurgence of interest in and new inquiry into Lysenko. If you examine, as I have, who the authors are of these pieces, well, it turns out that a disproportionate number, not all, but I would say most of the authors are out-and-out -out Stalinists. And at the same time that they're calling for the rehabilitation of Lysenko, they're saying, and who supported Lysenko? Stalin. This shows what a wise man Stalin really was. So one reason I find this topic so fascinating is because there's an interaction here of a truly different scientific 
development. Something has changed in the science. Mm -hmm. There's an interaction of that with this rankly political right. <laughs> Stalinist development. And those two things are, are interacting in ways that are quite surprising. Right. And these people are are also, the majority of them, it seems, they're not necessarily scientists. M many are not scientists. Yeah. But again, it has to be said, some scientists who are in this movement, and one or two or three of them are of considerable reputation. Mm -hmm. I would mention Lev Zhivatovsky. He's a population geneticist in the Institute of General Genetics of the Russian Academy of Sciences. He's published in internationally peer-reviewed journals. He's worked with American scientists, including scientists at Stanford. He has a credible reputation, mm -hmm. and yet he's just published a book here a couple of years ago called Niezvestny Lysenko, the unknown Lysenko, in which he says Lysenko was a great scientist. Mm -hmm. Which you would argue, we've already talked about well, the sloppy scientific uh, methods. Now we're getting down to the, conclu <laughs> the, <re> the conclusions, <laughs> the bottom line, right. Okay, here's my bottom line in just one complicated sentence. Where Lysenko was right, he was not original. And where he was original, he was not right. An example of where he was right but unoriginal is his belief in the inheritance of acquired characteristics. There have been people who believed in that since the time of Aristotle and beyond. So there's nothing original in that. Where he was original, when he said, for example, he could change one species of tree into another and one species of weed into another, he was wrong. Right, right. Now, what does this resurgence of Lysenko and people coming to his defense, what does that say to you about modern Russia, about the, uh, the authoritarian state. Specialists in Russia are already quite familiar with the fact that in recent years, particularly under Putin, there's been a resurgence of nationalistic, anti-Western, in some cases pro-Stalinist developments. Mm -hmm. And we've seen it in politics and we've seen it in literature and other fields, scholarship, history. We've seen it there in all those places. Now we're seeing it in science. Mm -hmm. And so that's, in my opinion, very regrettable because there were people, and I was one of them, who hoped that, well, Putin's Russia may be regressive in some ways, but you know, there's been a great globalization and scientists all work together and it's not going to get into the science. I mean, the science is going to be safe from this. Well, we now have to say that science isn't safe from this. But I want to add to that. I don't want to give impressions to people who hear me that I think Lysenkoism has taken over Russian genetics. It has not. <laughs> The vast majority of Russian geneticists are fighting this. They resist it. But it is nonetheless a threat. Mm -hmm. And one way of perhaps to illustrate that threat most graphically is that there was another new book by a man named Kononkov. In Russian, it's called Dva Mira Dve Ideologi, Two Worlds, Two Ideologies, which is a very pro Lysenko book. And if you look to see how it was published, you see that it was published with a grant from a Russian governmental agency. That means that the government, in this instance, has thrown its support behind this movement. I, I, I don't want to take that as far as some people would, because I'm sure Lysenko, I mean, I'm sure Putin didn't sign off on that. It was far too down. Uh, but, but the publishers felt that it was in line. The publishers felt that it was right. in line. And that shows that already the government is playing a role. Mm -hmm. And there's a new book out, too. I just haven't had a chance to read it, but I just found out about it also with some government support. So it's, it's worrisome. But I, in fact, when I talk to my Russian friends, they're more worried about this than I am. Mm -hmm. And they and they have even said to me that, Lauren, you're a little naive. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't understand how serious this is and uh, how much a threat Lysenko is. And I say, look, the only way 
Lysenkoism could again rule Soviet biology is if you just shut down all international travel, cut off the internet, yeah. because Russian scientists are much more interconnected with the whole world of science than they were in Stalin's Right. They day. don't have the con- right, Stalin- right. Putin does not have the control that Stalin had over That's the correct. entire infrastructure. That's right. Now you had an encounter with Lysenko. I did. Would you mind telling us that story? Well, I have worked on and off. I've worked on other topics too, but I've worked on and off on Lysenko for most of my life. And I tried in the 60s, the 70s, to interview him several times, and he always refused to see me, so I gave up. But I continued to study everything I could about him in the libraries, and the library which I found most useful for that was the Lenin Library in downtown Moscow. It's now called the State Library of the Russian Federation, which is right next to the Kremlin, biggest library in Russia, but... It had terrible lunch facilities. I worked there for months. So I don't know if you've ever worked there or not, but the lunch in the, the Stolovai in the basement, oh, it was just about a horrible kind of place as you could imagine, steam tables. And, oh. Anyway, so I couldn't eat there. I just couldn't stomach it. So I looked for other places to eat, and since I had a propisk or a pass for uh, the academy's institutions, I went to the Dormuchonik, the House of Scientists, which is just a few blocks away. And one day when I went in there around noon or 1 o'clock, I looked in the back of the room and sitting all alone at a table for two was uh, Lysenko, Trofim Denisovich Lysenko. So I went and sat down beside him. Here was my opportunity. And I ordered a bowl of borscht and then I turned to him and I said, I know who you are. You're Trofim Denisovich Lysenko. I've been trying to see you for quite a while and uh, I've written about you. And he turned to me and said, uh, yes. I said, I'm Lauren Graham. And he turned to me and he said, yes, uh, I know your name. Uh, I've even read some of the things you wrote about me. He said, uh, you know a lot about Russian science, but you are mistaken in your views of me. I said, what were the mistakes that I made? He said, uh, you believe that I'm responsible for the deaths of some Russian geneticists. I was never a member of the Communist Party. I had no connection with the secret police, and you can't hold me responsible for what happened. Well, I was silent for a while. Should I just let him get away with that, or should I confront him? And finally, I said, you know, Warren, this is the only chance in your life you're going to get have to get at this guy. Go for it. So <laughs> I turned to him, and in as calm an academic a way as I could, I said, yes, I know you're not a member of the Communist Party, but you did have a method for getting rid of your enemies, and it's called Denos denunciation. And it, and I cited several instances where in the presence of Stalin at certain meetings, uh, Lysenko said things like, you know, just like there are wreckers in Soviet industry, just like there are wreckers in Soviet uh, industry, so are there wreckers in agriculture. And Nikolai Vavilov and these geneticists are among them. And Stalin said, bravo, comrade Lysenko. And then the secret police arrested him. I said, you can't evade responsibility for what happens. You initiated it. He got up and left the table. I didn't think I'd ever see him again. So I wasn't too surprised he left the table. I mean, I had just insulted him. And then after about 10 minutes, he came and sat down beside me. And he said, you know, you just don't understand me. 
He says, I've always been an outsider. He said, I didn't have a good education. I came from a peasant family. I walked barefoot in the fields. I learned about plants and animals on the farms. And these geneticists like Vavilov, they had good educations. They spoke foreign languages. They had advantages over me. And they wouldn't let me in whenever I would try to write an article or say something about uh, biology or agronomy, they wouldn't publish it. They just uh, excluded me. So he said, in order to make my way in the world, he said, I had to fight back. And he said, I did. So I learned something there. Some people have said, when you tell that story, Lauren, you're, you're, you're trying to justify Lysenko. I'm not. I'm a historian. I'm supposed to try to understand where things came from. And to me, that's illuminating. I think he felt that he was an outsider. Mm -hmm. I think that psychologically, his personality is very interesting, although he was a tragedy for mm -hmm. Russian genetics. Well, it's certainly interesting to know the story he used to, yeah. to justify his own Right. He, he, played, the, he played the victim card, right. is right. what he did. He, he built his own narrative for how... Yeah, he built his own narrative. Yeah. Well, thank hey. you so much, Lauren, for You're sharing welcome. some time with us this afternoon, and the book's really great. Thanks so much. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.